Welcome back to the Nightlife Podcast. Guys, today I am going to be sitting down with a good friend from a very, very long time. That just sounds like, like, um, every time that I introduce people from a long time, I don't know, I just, I just sound older and older and older. Um, no, it wasn't that long ago. Actually, okay, it was a long time ago. We were just very, very young when we got started in this industry. So I started kind of first. Um, I met him through his brother. He used to be a DJ that played for us for a while. And then he left Miami and to get into sports. And it, an amazing story how he ended up getting into the industry and the evolution that he had through the industry starting um as a promoter doing his first event completely for free and then growing into doing many events and then partnering with some venues and growing immensely you will not believe um how far this guy went to to being part of you know a 90 venue venture um it's you gotta hear the story so anyway without further ado here is Ricky Ricardo Cabrera. All right, Ricky, how are you, my man? Long time no see. I know, I know. It's great to see you. How's everything on your end? Dude, dude, dude. I can't complain. Can't complain, as you see. Um, well, besides the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm a little pale. I was just, you know, that conversation we were having behind the scenes before. <laughs> um, uh, as you can see, the 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 podcast logo has more color than myself due to this pandemic and being stuck at home. Um, so I was a little worried about that, you know, yeah, but, don't worry about it. I, I brought enough color for the both of us. There, there you go. There you go. El Negro. Um, buddy, how's your brother? First of all, my brother's doing great. You know, um, he had his first son. Uh, it's going to be two years now in January. Um, he's transitioning out of the nightlife scene. You know, he's all, he's been in, he's been in for a very long time. Uh, you know, okay. back since when you guys started as well. By the way, I remember, um, I remember people due to the color that I have on my skin currently. <laughs> right, right. The two yeah, of you do not look opposite. like brothers. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. So, he, so, he so, be, just to, you know, just to give people a little, a little, you know, backstory to, to, to this. So, Felipe, um, uh, Rick's brother, uh, worked with us a long, long time ago, I, I, 20 something years ago. I mean, uh, there are a few parts of the story that I remember. Uh, all I can say is that there's a story in my book that relates to to your brother, and even your dad is in it. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that's incredible. Cr crazy enough, he was my college counselor. He was, yeah. He, he counseled a lot of people. Yeah, and a uh, fun, fun guy who also happened to be one of our like best clients for a while him and your uh -huh. uncle you know yeah <laughs> um yeah yep. so Get yeah so, so uh, back then when when this was going on when when uh, felipe was a dj but by the way felipe you know grew in the industry a lot you know I, I, he's i know he's stored toured around the world he's you know been with nikki beach with you know great brands for a long time um we had a great time together you know he was Always the guy that he was probably one of the first ones to stick to the house music, even though we were a Latin party, you know, in Miami, known for the, our Latin clientele. 
but he always talked to that to that belief, you know. And a lot of the guys, you know, came from him. I actually interviewed uh, Mark Marquito, Mark M, um, yeah. on, the, on the show, who's also been producing. I, 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 yeah, I actually, you know, caught up with Mark on Instagram the other day because, you know, he's he's kind of famous in Miami, right? You know, he has a good amount of followers. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's funny, you know, I can go back and remember uh, in the studio we built in the garage and, and, and a limelight of DJs that my brother taught how to DJ from scratch mm -hmm. who ended up being residents at Club Space, who ended yeah. up playing in Ultra and different you know Tomorrowland and a lot of different tours so yeah you know my brother was just somebody who loved producing loved teaching and he, actually he was pretty shy he never really liked to perform that much but he right. it was a great DJ he still is yeah I don't I don't remember people ever being you know outside of the DJ booth you know always like just stuck <laughs> in that little space you know he was not that that big personality or whatever you know great yeah, guy yeah he loved the music he just loved the music um, so, so let's get back to you. I'm going to actually have to get your brother on the show one day. Um, but, um, so back in, in, you know, in those days, um, a few years ago, I think if we say how old you were, I might get, get in trouble, <laughs> but right. let's say it was a long time ago. And, um, so, so when I knew you, it was, you know, you were, there was no interest from you from what I saw in the industry at all. I mean, I, I don't, I don't recall much of it back then. At the beginning, when 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 more of us as a client, um, maybe a little into promoting, maybe at some point um, after I'm, I'm trying to figure out how did you yeah. end up really getting into the industry? So, you know, back then, I mean, even if you can remember, I, I was very much big into sports, I, football. Um, yeah. I wasn't a big drinker, um, mm -hmm. but I did come from a family line of, you know, music, dancing. And, and, and loving that environment. I, I can remember since I was a kid, um, my family loved to entertain and host people at our house. Um, so, so kind of always being like the life of the party thing I kind of grew into. But my, my passion was always uh, um, sports. And, and, and I was able to play Division I football um, in college. And, and, and that was my main focus. Like I said, you know, I really didn't drink. Um, I was very disciplined. And... Um, And that's kind of what my focus was. It was just a platform that I had the opportunity to enjoy it with my dad, like you said, with my uncle, yeah. with my brothers. Um, and it was just family time for me. For you know, for other people, it was a way to escape their reality. And for me, I was kind of living in it. Right. Um, I know that going into this uh, podcast, you, you're always asking me, like, how'd you get into it? Um, right. and, and to be honest with you, uh, it was out of spite. You know, it was, it was kind of like I was in college, Um, I had just gotten in a huge fight with my coach and, and I thought I was, you know, hot shit. So I quit the football team. Um, and I was kind of lost. I, I, I got lost into partying for like three, four months. I was very popular in college. And I remember one Wednesday afternoon, was this, sorry, was I this was going Tampa, out, Tampa or where was this at? In Tampa. Yeah. University right. of South Florida right. in Tampa. Um, and I remember I got invited by, by somebody to go out one Wednesday. And when I was walking into the bar, I, I got denied entry. And, oh. and I was like, and I was like, wow. I was like, I was like, what is this? You know, I'm used to just walking in everywhere. I mean, right. you can attest to it, right? Even as a young man before going to college, I, you know, you guys always used to take care of me. Right. Well, and, you had, you had, you, you did have your, your dad, your uncle, or 
some right, right. some very good looking guardian. or some very good looking girl next to you. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Yeah, it just happened to be that way. Um, but yeah, I come to find out that the owner of that of that establishment thought that his girlfriend was cheating on him with me. Oh. And 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 at that time, um, the the clubs and bars were ran by the fraternities. Right. Um, and he was one of the biggest fraternities. So I turned back around and I said, you know what? I'll throw my own party. I don't, I don't need the fraternities, you know? And, and I think that's just something that's always within me to kind of turn around and say, you know what? If I can't get it through here, then I'll do it myself. Um, right. And so that's what we did. I turned around. I turned to the football team. I turned to the athletic department, all the people who were popular because they played a sport. And I said, hey, you guys want to promote this party for free? Hmm. And so... Overnight, I got about 400 promoters and right. threw a free party. And next thing you know, we had thousands of people um, at this event that I threw for free. And at that moment, a, a light kind of triggered in my mind. And I was like, hey, you know what? I, I can kind of be onto something here, especially for athletes. Because when you play collegiate sports, um, you're not really allowed to work anywhere. And so maybe right. them being promoters gave them the opportunity to make some extra money where they normally couldn't. Correct. Correct. That's awesome. So, you know, you yeah. know, you're not the first story I hear um, that gets into the industry out of spite, as a matter of fact. And, and there's been a few that have gone in the right direction, uh, but most of them have gone in the wrong direction um, because they use that. It's the only thing that drives them into it. Um, and, and they instead of going in the route that, you know, you were younger and maybe at that time, there was no, I guess, the, there wasn't the money power that you could have used to do something even worse and maybe stupid as the other stories that I know that actually, for example, I know one that couldn't get into um, um, this place at the beach, uh, mangoes, imagine. Not being able to get into mangoes <laughs> says a lot. <laughs> um, and the guy put in $9 million into a venue here in Miami. You know, so, wow. yeah, crazy. Uh, you know, long story short, he lost all of that money or most of it, at least. Um, so, yeah, so, and, and, and I, to kind of to kind of piggy off of that, I, I, um, I do appreciate the fact that I, I don't come from a silver spoon. I, I do appreciate the fact that everything that I've uh, done um, has never been a financial decision. It's always been based off of um understanding that hard work is always going to be your number one source of making anything happen right mm -hmm. and so having that balance from sports and understanding like hey you know um you don't pay your way into it you, you got to earn your way into whatever you do it doesn't matter if it's this industry or any type of career mm -hmm. um or goals you have ahead um was something that definitely set the bar for me uh after that house party because after that house party which was really in, 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 in a mansion. Um, I brought a few of us together uh, that were in the, in, in the sports and athletics. And I said, um, I want to rent out a venue a night and, and start doing these events next to uh, where the fraternities did the parties, you know? Right. So for example, imagine, you know, having Madhouse or Yahe and right, right next to it, I rent out Rusty Pelican to right. do like a, a, you know, to just compete. But understanding that, um, I knew that I needed money to rent out the venue. And but so, hey, by the way, the it happened to us. I mean, there was a place next to us called El Grill, and their flyers would say, 
the entrance after Yahe or Madhouse. Or oh, something. yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I do remember that. Further down, no? Yeah, Further yeah, down. yeah. Just keep going further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. no, I do remember that. No, it is. It's insane. Ricky, let me so, ask you so, a yeah. quick question. So after after that, when you start doing this, so do these become weekly events or, you know, more long, you know, a few so a I, year? So, so at first, uh, what I tried to do was highlight um, what I felt were um, trendsetters' birthdays. So myself okay. and I would group a few of us and then I would go and get another group and do birthdays. Right. This is um, when the word I, influencer did not exist. Correct. Right. Call them trendsetters. Okay. I call them trendsetters. You want to be seen as the best club in town, the best restaurant in town or the best venue in town. Or you want to be seen as the best club promoter or promoting company in town. Well, there's only one way you can do this and that is with digital marketing. You have to set the record straight with Tripod Marketing Agency. So so I identified trendsetters, right? I knew that if I was able to get the trendsetter, I was gonna get at least seven more people that would work for free and get the word out. And I knew that word of mouth was your strongest form of marketing, right. that the return you got on flyers or any of that other stuff. And Facebook was just starting off. Right. Um, you, you know, you got like a 2% return. If you threw 5,000 flyers out, you know, you got very hit or miss. Right. So trendsetters was kind of where I was going towards because um, that would help me guarantee a certain number of attendants, especially if I knew that they were, you know, invested into the event because they were hosting their birthday party and they didn't want to look bad. Right. Good, good. So you end up becoming a weekly event soon after or did you not, did you yeah, not go into so, it? So yeah, so so what kind of happened was um, I start building a pretty good following, and then um, the the recession hit, you know, and and, and all of this stuff was, I, I would say it was kind of divine justice or luck. The recession hits, and um, I start getting a lot of venues that are about to close down, right? You know, a lot of nightclubs that are about to go down, and so what I start doing was that I approach them and I say, hey, you know let me your place. I'll help you revive it. Right. right? I get a hundred percent of the door. Um, how much money do you need to make from the bar mm. for you to feel complete? And then we'll negotiate from there. And so they would tell me, Hey, you know, I need to make 80 grand, a hundred grand, 200 right. grand a month. And so I would say, Hey, anything over 200 grand is mine. And a hundred percent of the door is mine. And then I'm going to teach you how to hire the right trendsetters. So the right bottle girls, the right bar bartenders, the right security, the right DJs, because everybody really at the end of the day represents what you want to do. And they also become, you know, a piece of the night. So they bring right. the people that you, the crowd that you want to bring. At this time, you're still um, going to school, correct? At this time, I'm done playing football. I'm done playing football and, um, and, and I'm taking like two classes a semester. I had, I had, I think I had like a year left to graduate and and i decided to really uh gear down on the school and and focus on developing this a little bit because i i was getting a lot of clients a lot yeah. of nightclubs that were interested in turning turning their establishment right. around by the way i, I do want to make a parenthesis there to everybody that's listening because uh, i know there's a lot of people out there due to this crisis and this pandemic currently this is different from 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 what happened in 2007 2008 here in the us this is global yes but it is still a crisis. 
And that kind of problem that, that he's talking about right now is a problem that will happen again. A lot of venues are suffering, even though a lot of a lot of them are going to close completely their doors. Yes, they're going to give up. They're going to, you know, throw away whatever they have in there or take whatever they have and wait to open a new one later on. Um, if they, they're smart, they negotiate with the vent, you know, with the landlords or whatever, and they stay because, they, you know, they should not be closing, honestly. But let's just say there will be opportunities for anybody who wants to open something new or whatever. But also, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for promoters out there to negotiate better deals than what you used to be negotiating before. They're going to try to do this without you at first. They're going to realize that they can't because they don't have the people. They don't have the crowd. That's, you know, you have the clients and they have the venue. They have the, you know, the service, the, the, the liquor, whatever it is, that you, the product that you want to sell. But in the end, without you in the equation, it's very hard that any venue is going to end up making it. So, so keep that in mind. It's not the end. It's just... Uh, you know, it's reboot. And, and as a matter of fact, the playing field has been leveled right now. Anybody that comes up with the best ideas, the best kind of deals, the best opportunities, you know, um, you know, it's a time to look at them as partners and figure out a way that you, you said something very important. They have to be happy with it. As a matter of fact, that's what's more important. You want those yeah. clients. See, see that Ricky said clients. The client is not that customer that comes through the door. The, your client is the club in the end. Yeah. Right? You gotta, yeah. And, and you said a lot of positive things there, right? Like mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm in the industry now, but in a different uh, aspect of it that we can talk a little bit later, but mm -hmm. you know, my transaction mm -hmm. into the industry, but right now it's a perfect opportunity, right? Where, where people think, you know, um, everything's going wrong and, and, and there's no opportunity. This is a perfect time. And, and I'll just give you, you know, a, an idea, right? If a venue used to be a nightclub or a bar, um, you know, it's full service and they go out of business, most probably they might lose that license as well, that liquor license, and it stays with the landlord. So you can go in there and get, you know, you can start a completely new concept with all the licensing and permitting and the web zoning you need to ignite something for a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. if, if, if the location is still owned and the, and the concept is owned by the same person, well, you also have the opportunity to reinvent a few things, right? And go in there and become a partner. So not only are you learning one part, there's there's one part to learning how to be a promoter and gathering people, which is the hardest thing to do. If you get a following and you got people coming, you have the leverage in any negotiation. Yeah. I don't care what they say. The other aspect is knowing how to operate a venue. That's a whole different animal. So right. those are two different two different opportunities for you to learn. If you're a great trendsetter, you got people that follow you, use this opportunity to partner up with that owner of that venue right. and learn how to operate so you can really maximize, you know, your your your, your revenue by lowering costs and, and, and boosting up margins. And and by the way, guys, the, the, those two things you mentioned there is exactly what I teach as to when it, when when to go from promoter to venue owner. I, I have two routes of going, which is you know a managing partner or a marketing partner it's it, it goes in those directions it's using either power <laughs> to your advantage to be able to become a partner you know i mean the way that i that i did it as to not investing my own money at the beginning um so you know but that's another uh, another story there but definitely i agree as a matter of fact i was just invited to to have a a, a talk um in a, in a, to a conference in in Moscow 
and they want me to talk specifically about the opportunities there are and how there are new opportunities currently in the in this industry and how so many people think the opposite you know so so i'm glad that somebody that's in it understands what i'm talking about um yeah ricky yeah, so and, and, and you know yeah you know you know you know it's difficult times for all of us right and so correct. it's very easy for any of us to be dwelling on the um opportunities we had going into 2020 to comparing to where we are right now but right. i still sit here even through all the hard aches that we've gone through this year i still sit here and i couldn't be more excited for the opportunities that are ahead yeah man i'm biting my nails just waiting for it to stop i'm like oh, waiting <laughs> like a shark yeah. just outside you know what i mean um so anyway back to your story <laughs> um so you mentioned a little bit that you are in a completely different part of the industry now um let's 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 not jump to that but 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 try a little try to go a little i guess jump a few years into from from sure. those parties what was sure. the next so, some, so something so something really important that i like to say be, be, before jumping all those years was my approach to the venue owners my approach to the venue owners was to educate them to teach them how to do what i did and and create a contract that was a term contract meaning six months a year a year and a half whatever we felt necessary to get them cash flow positive and for me to move on one it gave me the opportunity to stay fresh two it really created a strong bond between the venue owner and myself because they were very happy that i taught them something new that they felt they were outside of the loop and and it really made them quick on kind of creating word of mouth and mm -hmm. telling their next friend you know, that if they need a good service, someone to kind of help them turn things around to reach out to me. Um, and so I thought that was very important and very beneficial to what made me stand out from other promoters who kind of kept the control, who, who were very threatening, who would be like, hey, if you don't give me this and I'll just take my people somewhere else. Right. Um, and so there's two different approaches. Right. Um, and it's all how you feel you need to value yourself. But mm -hmm. I just felt that differential really kind of made me stand apart from everywhere else, from right. everyone else. So. So and touching on that now, um, back when you're talking about this, this, the, this time that you're talking about, you know, you mentioned Facebook as something that was coming around new, whatever. But even though that was a new thing or whatever, that word of mouth was the biggest part. You always mention it and, and, you know, how important it was for you to, you know, teach them to use it in a way um, because it, it, it's free, <laughs> first of all. Um, even though there are many ways for you to be able to get that good word of mouth out there, even though I, I've, I've also taught a little bit on, on being able to use the bad word of mouth as well um, into your advantage. But in the end, it's word of mouth, right? You want, you want to create as much of it as possible. The point is, nowadays, there are also some changes. I, I, I'm not sure if exactly when, when this was in time that, that you're talking about, what you're, what you're saying there, but... But I'm sure they were doing things probably like advertising on magazines or or putting ads somewhere or on newspapers yeah. or, you know, things that uh, were completely old school. A hundred percent, you know, and, and so that learning curve was teaching them how to use Facebook. Right. And teaching them how to use different type of new technologies that were coming around. Right. Um, and, and let me let me really explain Facebook and social media. And it's something that I still do today. Mm -hmm. I learned the algorithm of Facebook, I understood how the company functioned, what they wanted to gain from the people that were using Facebook. And, and the reason why I went so deep is because they started 
putting different parameters, different blocks, right? right? They, they, they needed to make Facebook um, generate revenue. So you knew that for them to generate revenue, they had to kind of restrict you a little bit and make you pay to get more exposure. So right. I was using Facebook before they had any of these restrictions. And you can really tell me being able to create something viral or reach a lot of people was a lot easier than today. And so you really need to kind of, it's a constant education. Even today you think, oh, Facebook's already been created for X amount of years. I mean, you need to stay on top of Facebook because they change their algorithm. They, they bring in new features. And so you really need to be adaptive and continue to use these new features, mm-hmm. be able to get the exposure you're looking for right. to help you kind of gravitate to that word of mouth. And, and I agree with you, Julio, when you say any word of mouth is a positive one, even mm-hmm. if it's negative, it's a positive one. If you're part of the conversation, then that's somebody that knows about you. And it's all about getting the right message to them for them to even give the opportunity for them to swing by your venue. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right. So, so after all these years and and and, and sure. getting involved in that way, what 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 was your next yeah. jump in this? So, so this is the this is a good thing, right? Um, so, I I got to a point where I controlled a lot of my market, um, Tampa. And Orlando, it's really owned by a few, by a few people. And so once you kind of got into that circle, you really had access to a lot of venues. And I was basically renting out the nights to other promoters and making money every night of the week from other sub promoters, so other companies. Um, and it became such a monopoly that that industry, for some reason, it has a lot of mob ties. Not because it actually has mob ties, but people think they're mobsters. Right. Um, right. And so, to, a long story short, I got assaulted at one of. Um, I got assaulted by by five individuals who wanted to send a message out to me, um, hit across the head, you know, broken skull, the whole nine. And it took me like seven months to walk again, recover myself. And through that time, I sold my promotion company, and I started to reevaluate what my next steps were. I knew I couldn't be a promoter my whole life. I knew I had to transition somehow, but the money was so good. I didn't really know how to transition. And so that assault, you know, I thank God for that assault because it made me really stop, take a step back, look at the situation I was in and then redirect myself um, to where I needed to go. And, and, and in all honesty, at that moment of my life, I was 27 years old. It was, um, I don't know, 2010, I believe. And I didn't like the person I had become. I was very egotistical. I, you know, I had a huge ego. I, I felt like I was untouchable. I hired half of the police force at all my venues, so I felt like the cops couldn't touch me. So, by the um, way, guys, so that, really- remember that is the old club promoter description in the dictionary—the one that we are trying to change. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I had eighty different promoters or promotion companies under me. Um, I was making a ridiculous amount of money uh, in cash. And, mm-hmm. and, and when I when that assault happened, um, legal, both legal parties came into play. And I soon realized that I couldn't go to court to defend myself because I really wasn't running a legitimate company. I didn't have the taxes in place. I didn't have a lot of the structure in place. And so it was time for me to, for me to really learn what it took to run a real company and and make a strong name for myself because promoter wasn't something i could i could put on a resume right so yeah so then so then i i made that transition and and what i did was i looked at all the clients i had 
had and I felt um, what were the best concepts that that had legs for me to create a cookie cutter franchise concept and develop it across different markets. So you used some of the basically the relationships that you built to be able to get to that next level. A hundred percent. You know, I, I definitely didn't want to start from zero. Um, I felt that I had to transition uh, within some of the relationships that I had built. Uh, mind you, some of my relationships were doctors, uh, insurance providers, lawyers, and and I looked at all those fields. You know, right. what did it look for me to sell life insurance? What did it look like for me, you know, to get into to become a lawyer? Um, right. And I went through those processes, but I realized that entrepreneurship was something that I was good at, and and I saw that there was a niche within the field that I could I could really capitalize on. And so I turned to the clients that I helped develop their marketing and their concept and, and, and kind of went that route. Okay. So what was that first project you did with? Yeah. So, so what I did was I went to a concept called world of beer, uh, which at that time was a neighborhood bar in a, in a high neighborhood in Tampa in West chase. And I approached them and what the deal I had made with them was they would give me equity, sweat equity for me offering my marketing services for free. Um, and when I approached them, that was the deal they wanted to keep. They didn't want me to, you know, be part of the company. They didn't want to give me a salary, right? This was a startup company and, and they wanted to keep the deal we had. And so what I told them was, Hey, you know, right now you have two bars. Uh, they're averaging about 1.2 million a year. Um, anything over that 1.2 million is my salary. Um, I'll continue the, uh, the, the services for marketing, um, for free, I get the sweat equity, but anything over that 1.2 at the end of the year becomes my salary. And, and, and sure enough, you know, after the second quarter, they offered me the CMO <laughs> position. Um, and, and then please, please uh, take a salary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they realized that it would benefit them for me to be on board. Um, and then after that, I, I purchased the rights to the state of Colorado and Texas to develop the concept. Awesome. So in the end, how many, how many of those did they end up opening? They, I mean, with you. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so, you know, I personally own 16 and we, I was part of opening 90 plus world of beers across the nation. And I helped them develop the brand into entering into the Asian market before mm -hmm. I exited the company. See, that's why I think promoter has to be on the resume. <laughs> you know what? And I understand hundred percent where you're coming from when you say that. And, um, and it's one of the things that bothers me in a way because I've been doing it for so long. Um, you know, even though it's just one part of what I do. I mean, I haven't been I haven't been doing it myself, honestly, for a while. But as a company, we continue to do so. Now, in gen it's it's basically where I started, as as you know. You know, also kind of the same age as as, as when you got started. Um, I was eighteen. Um, I, I won't say years, <laughs> but <laughs> but um. But I do believe that if promoters were to not do the things that provoked you to get out of the industry and not have the egos that you yourself can say today, now that you're more mature, that you had at that some point in time or, you know, you know, it's just yeah. it's it's ridiculous. I, um, I think I, I'm a true believer that money highlights the type of person you are. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't change you. Um, right. 
And, and in all honesty, I, I disliked the person I had become. I felt invincible. And I knew that wasn't me. And I knew that I had to change somehow. And, and really, my reputation or the people around me were around me for the wrong reasons. Just right. the same reasons that people were around me when I was successful in sports, right? Because mm. um, they were interested in, in an opportunity. Right. Um, and they both but, kind of but, gave you money and some kind of power in a way, right? Yeah, they gave me they gave me status. Right. And I think if you know how to leverage your status, uh, you can really capitalize on any opportunity. If you if you learn, I today look at promoters as a positive term. Um, right. During that time in my life, I looked at it as negative because I looked at it as something people didn't take very serious because it came so easy to me. Mm -hmm. But it definitely molded the type of individual I am. And it really taught me how to kind of toot my own horn, right? It really taught me how to um, present myself, how to sell myself, and how to make realistic objectives and goals uh, and understand the hard work it takes to achieve them. There it is. And all right, so is so what happens after World of Beer? What is what is or what's coming? So, what's that? You know, where are we now? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people uh, looking from the outside in are like, wow, you know, Rick just sold his membership, you know, his partnership from World of Beer. He's a millionaire, right? Eight figures deal. Um, well, I signed my contract with World of Beer at the age of 23, and I didn't really look at the fine print. And it said that if I were to exit World of Beer before um, they sold the entire concept, my ownership would be devalued um, to 0.001%. It was something very minuscule. So out of the eight figures that I expected, I really got like a $500 check in the mail. And, um, and it was my first lesson on contracts. Right. <laughs> I learned contracts. It's a, it's a big lesson to pay for definitely, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, it, honestly, you know, I, I was I was responsible with my money when I was, you know, developing the different um, locations across the U.S. and I was able to invest in what I what I have today, uh, right? Which which was a home and 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 obviously a distribution company, which we can get into that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely um, made me. Uh, put my head down and work 10 times harder because it's very different from when you're expecting a $12 million check uh, to hit your bank and you coming back to a home you paid for and the city you grew up in and you feel like you have this cash flow to build this company with time uh, to realizing you have $500 and just the assets you own on your back and a company you just bought that's hemorrhaging $25,000 a month. Um, mm. So it was a very... Uh, hard lesson but um like i said when you really look at the big picture every step of the way i'm so grateful for all these lessons because i learned something i was able to retain what i learned while i was doing the job and then i was able to learn a lot of lessons during the hardship um that really molded me to how well-rounded i am today at least i think i'm very well-rounded even though i know i have a lot of lessons to continue to learn i mean the the, the good thing is it's that it's definitely early in your in your life even though after hearing all the stories that everybody could say well i mean early man into and so and and definitely your generation sees it a little different than mine i guess and the ones before that that for some reason you guys have this chip that you know billionaires by 30 you know what i mean it's it's uh, it's, it's it's in maybe not yours as much as the next one after you that that you know everybody but i am but i am i am a millennial right I'm, right i'm right on with millennials and to be honest with you it's still a lesson 
Um, I've used this pandemic to really peel back the layers of myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell everyone this, you know, even, you know, your viewers, right? It's not the goal you set out in front of you that's impossible. It's not the objectives, right? Like you can accomplish anything you put in front of you. But where we fall short on our expectations, right? Even though we say we try not to create an expectation, we fall short on the time that it takes. Um, and so I think that you really need to, you know, kind of set the goal, understand it, but then also be real realistic with how long, how long it really takes to achieve that goal realistically. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not so much the time, but it might be the learning curves you have to go through, you know, the right. different type of life situations that are ahead of you that might just stall that growth that you have to overcome. And in due time, you will achieve your objective. It might not look the way you expected it, but I promise you it's probably going to look better. Right. It's not just what you expect, but when you expect it and definitely why. That's the one. That's another one that. That's I, my driver. Yeah, brother. My, I mean, my why is I, my most important thing. I mean, I, I, I've read it in, I don't know, so many, so many books. I've heard, heard it in so many podcasts, so many speakers talking about the why, the why. And that I started to, you know, put that in front. As a matter of fact, it's right behind the camera there. There's a big why and it's mine is written there. It's like a constant reminder. You know what I mean? Like it's really nice. I didn't see it as, as important before. And, and it just changes the game completely. You know what I mean? Like, like it's so the why. By the way, so it's not important. money. <laughs> No, exactly right. The why is what's going to get you through those hard times. The why is what's going to be that driver. Um, and it's it can never be money. You can, like I said, I, I'm so grateful that I didn't really, you know, during the time that I was training this, I didn't have a lot of money behind me because I think it would have ruined uh, the reasons why I was doing what I was doing. Right. Um, If the why and, was the money, uh, we'd not be doing this podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. You would have, I would have turned the page looking right. for another opportunity a long time ago totally man um so what's next man so yeah so you know find myself in miami back you know 2015 um with a distribution company hemorrhaging losing you know 25 27 30,000 a month um the other part that, how, that how, sorry how do, how, do you, how do you get into that if, you know in, uh, distribution funny funny Yeah. So my friend, a, a friend of mine from since I was a little kid, um, we used to go to all your parties together. Um, he we catch up spontaneously when I was living in Colorado, developing World of Beer. And he tells me that he's trying to sell his distribution company. It was a distribution company that he had started a whole bunch of wine. He, he represented a whole bunch of vineyards. He was very passionate about wine, but he was a numbers guy. He was a he was a finance guy. Um, And he was running into those issues that you can't research. And, and I think that's the biggest difference between a normal individual and an entrepreneur um, is you, you possess a grit inside of you that um, you understand things are going to come in front of you that you cannot research, that you can only experience. And you have to have that ability to adapt and overcome and continue to move forward. And so he told me about the distribution company. I, at that point, had developed a lot of different um brewery brands and i felt like i could add a, a new category to his distribution company and and join that that journey with him um and 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 i found myself in miami with this company that at one point we thought was profitable when i jumped on um, but then we later realized 
through a few things that aspired i won't get into um because you know he's part of our circle and he, and he might see this hmm. um that 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 we then realized that the company was not profitable it was actually losing money and i ended up being the sole owner of it um wow. he ended up exiting and, and finding going back to his career of finance and i ended up you know having to acquire these liabilities and make the best of it right which i can say you know a few years later i have right what what makes you not quit uh, when it's something like that um faith i'm not i'm not saying you have to be uh, religious but but i definitely think that you have to uh, respect the higher being and be humble enough to understand that there is somebody above you um, and there's moments that when there's nothing else left, you know, you definitely have to have a lot of faith to, to push through. And uh, the ultimate belief to know that whatever the outcome is, it, it's for the best. Right. Even if it, you know, you know, I could classify it as failure or success. Um, I look at it as learning or, or, or growing. Right. And, and I knew that I needed to go through this process um, to learn my next lesson. And, and, and throughout that process, I needed to accept everything that was coming towards me, um, digest it, and, and, and try my best to, to make the best of the, of, of the situation ahead of me. And wherever I ended up at the end game, it was, it was what was meant to be. Right. The just, harder the no, fall, the just, higher the bounds, as a matter of fact, too. So, you know, I... I yeah. I, I just, I've never been a quitter. I don't know. I just, you know, if I, if I put my mind to something, I just work through it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's worked out so far. You know, there are some, some cases where there's been some things that have happened and I think it's happened to everybody. I mean, I, everybody, uh, my, my students always tell me like that the, the things they appreciate the most to learn from me have been my mistakes. Um, or, or, you know, that, I, that at some point in time, I actually didn't think they were my mistakes. I used to blame somebody else for them. You know, whenever something <laughs> happened, there was always somebody else's fault. Um, and, and then I realized, you know what, I made the choice. I, I, I should have seen the things I didn't see. Uh, if I did not sign a contract at some point that, or if I signed a contract that I did not read that small, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it, it, it came with age, as you mentioned also, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if, if you know this part, but for example, when we end up losing Yahe, when, you know, our last night at Yahe, um, it was, it was actually, it was a Friday. So we got a call at, at eight in the morning from El Gato, uh, the, the GM. And he goes, Tío, eh, vente de una vez para acá. Uh, está la policía aquí. <laughs> I'm like, all right, uh, I'm coming right over. Um, eight in the morning, I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. You know, we just closed the Friday night at 5 a.m. And it's eight in the morning for on Saturday. Cleaning crew supposed to be there. And it was just basically police were closing the venue or whatever and it was just um i i had a lease of that venue but my lease was with the original leases you know a, with amen and all, yeah. all the guys um you know the, the whole group uh the french guys and everybody and they had a lease with the yeah. the marina right oh the marina the marina owned the lease to this with the city so imagine this it's a lease of a lease of a lease of a lease 
So of course, look at this. This is you know back in the back in those days, we're talking about somebody had a lease that was paying probably like ten thousand dollars for, and then somebody had a fifteen thousand dollar lease, and then somebody had a twenty thousand dollar lease, and then we had the most expensive lease, plus we were paying on top to everybody so that they would earn something so that we could keep the business from them because we took it all you know from them. Um, anyway, the point is we did not see the fact that their lease had a clause that said no subleasing. Um, so it was just the, the, the Marina decided one day, you know what, we don't want any more problems. We, uh, meaning we don't want any more nightlife. We just want a restaurant and we just want to close. And they decided to do it just like that. And, you know, um, and so many memories went down the drain. Oh my God. Memories <laughs> when it, when it comes and you know what the worst, the, the weirdest part is, cause there's a lot of memories. Definitely. I mean, I, I, that, that place was my second home. Um, it was 14 years that we were there, imagine. So, but, but more than that, um, and, and by the way, we had just remodeled the offices and upstairs and everything. We had even built a loft upstairs for us to stay because we, you know, we, we didn't want to be driving, uh, home, et cetera, at that time. The point is the worst thing that, 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 that hurt me the most was I had, uh, in my drawer, all my pictures, like with my mother passed away and with my with i had some um like pictures with like every artist that had been to the club or that we had had an, a show with or whatever so like all my memories like good good memories that i had a picture of i had in a drawer in there and they did not allow me to go back inside to pick up anything that's incredible like, it was it was crazy and again yeah age it was one of those first things you know that we were experiencing in this in, in in that sense it was not the last it was not the last i mean i now can tell you that i will not do anything without a contract uh and and read it over and over. more than a contract with a lawyer you know what i mean you got to hire the pro yeah. professionals to do their thing right yeah and, and i think you know uh throughout your whole experience it, talking to promoters or people getting into this business or in any business in general, you really have to play that that very interesting line of 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 being a good person and then being a correct person and having a little malice in you as well, mm. right? If you go overboard to try to like fuck someone over or cut a corner, it's gonna come back around and get you, and right. and the word's gonna get out and people aren't gonna want to work with you, right? Right. If you go and you're too good, people are going to walk all over you. Right. Right. You so know what? You kind of really have to understand that balance as an individual and say, hey, listen, you know, the more honest you are, the more transparent you are and the more straightforward you are, um, the quicker you're going to get things done. And honestly, right. and you have to delegate, let lawyers handle what they handle, you know, let, you know, different accounts handle what they handle. And, right. and, and you just be yourself and be honest and, and, and understand that. You have your hard no's and your hard yeses, and right. don't ever bend those. In the last interview that I had, I had a Aurelio from La Covacha, I think I mentioned it, and, and he did say something like that. He it was in, Basically, like when he would negotiate with you, he was going to be a shark and get as much as possible from you and you know give the the worst deal possible to you that he could give and, and the best possible for him. Um, but then whatever that deal was, there was no way that he was going to back on that or there was no way that he was not going to, you know, he was going to owe you money for any of that, whatever it was. You know what I mean? Um, so in a way that that I think yeah. it has to be kind of that way. Um, and, and that's a lesson that I think you will run into. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, people will owe you money. 
Um, you have to understand that if you're a creative individual and, and you're great at creating concepts or nights or, you know, venues, um, you have to understand that once you create that concept, it, it becomes the people's and the people right. make it whatever they want to make it. Right. Um, right. But you also have to understand that if that person that you created for or that partnership you get into um, takes advantage of it and they squat on it and they make it their own um, and they owe you money, you have to weigh out things. You have to think in a financial sense and say, well, mm -hmm. how much is this going to cost me to fight it? Mm -hmm. Right. Is it worth me fighting it or should I turn the page? I've already done it once. You're probably going to do it again. Right. Don't asphyxiate so much on that one thing. Just recreate it, learn from your last mistake and then try to do it better. Right. Um, but 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 weigh out your battles because it's all you have to think about principle versus principle. Right. Don't let and, one affect the other. And then also you have that other factor in, in, in some cities, for example, we um are better known for uh, the promoters now for like outside of south beach right so everything that's outside of the beach like if it's brickle or the windwood area or whatever like you know they know that we do that area well or, or whatnot now uh, not too long ago i was talking to somebody and our accounts receivable was has like over 200 grand owed to you know like um, from different clubs in the in the area right a lot of those clubs we are working with again after they owed us a lot of money, but completely different, you know, deals and contracts or, or, and whatever. But um, we decided not to start suing anyone. You know, um, there was like only one that we decided to sue and he ended up passing away. <laughs> he passed, so we couldn't. Um, but everybody else... Um, we decided not to because of the fact of, you know, like supply and demand. There was just a certain amount of clubs in the area that we could work with. Um, the moment that we start suing certain clubs, I mean, of course, I'm not talking about hundreds of thousands from one place alone, you know. Um, so, again, you got to weigh those and, and realize, is it worth it? Do I have, you know, for me suing this venue, what are they going to say? Is everybody on the street going to be saying that we are those promoters that sue? So don't hire those guys because what if something goes right. wrong with them? So, yeah, you got to think about everything. Because exactly. every venue is going to go through hardship. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard for you to get the same group of people to the same place every day of the week. Right. Even on the weekend, right? Or even every week after week. It takes a while to build it up. So they're going to run into financial hardships, right? And yeah. so they need to know that they're with somebody who's going to be with them in the hard times and in the good times. But like I said, really check your ego through all of this because right. it's principle versus principle. Principle one being financial, mm -hmm. right? Your principle, your finance. And the other one is your principles as a person. Right. Right? And, and you with your ego, you can't be like, I can't allow someone to fuck me over. Right. right. I can't allow it. Really, you have to put that on a pause and really understand what affects you more. Right. It's gonna, the financial part affects you more. So be really smart with that and be able to be the bigger person and right. renegotiate, go in there, position yourself better and, and try to make up, you know, what you lost, but continue to work and move forward. Right. Guys, and we've been on both sides of the equation. So I can guarantee you that over 90 percent of the, the owners out there want to pay you if you are bringing them money. If they cannot pay you, it's a different issue, but they want to. And, and yeah. I'm going to give you a quick example. You may have an amazing Saturday night at a club and you're doing $50,000 sales at that one Saturday night. But then that same club has a $20,000 Friday 
and a $10,000 Thursday and no other nights and loses money in the end because they have an overhead that they cannot afford. <laughs> and um, your $50,000 night that is supposed to be, you know, leaving you with a profit ends up being consumed by that venue not being able to produce on the other nights. And that's how you end up falling behind and having those issues. So, 100%. you know, so maybe also if you're worried about something like that, look for venues that, you know, have other good promoters in other nights or or may have nights that are doing well, you know, or I, I recommend you look for places that have a great Friday and Saturday and then you go from there and doing the other nights. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I agree. I agree. I mean, there's there's some people that you don't know what they negotiated on their lease mm -hmm. and there is literally impossible for them to pay that lease and then it's right. like a lease plus a percentage of sales you know or you know whatever type of negotiations they made and you fall accountable to that and and you know that the owner is always upside down but that's right. how i started right I, I look to do a tuesday night a wednesday night a monday night um, at places that i already knew had a strong recall name a lot of people were already going and they were bored on a monday night and they wouldn't mind going back there you know, start with an industry night, you know, start with the movers and shakers and, and really make your way from there, but always be honest and always right. do the right thing. No matter what, what part of the, of, of the, of the stage of the industry you're in. Right. And by the way, all big companies end up having a good off night at some point in time. You know what I mean? 100%. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be based on your Saturday night always. Um, Ricky, man, it's almost, it's been almost an hour. Uh, uh, and wow, time, time goes by really fast when, when you're having a, a good talk, man. Um, so now I get your story. Now I understand a little more and, and, and I'm glad I didn't ask all of these questions before, because I think people, uh, you know, are going to get a lot of content, a lot of, you know, um, good information and value from our conversation yeah. today. Um, no, I, I appreciated the time. I really do. You know, um, all of this has, has opened the door for me to put myself in the position I'm today, right? And, and so a quick recap of where I am today, I, I own a distribution company, um, but I also uh, manufacture my own brands. So my own liquor brands, beer brands, wines. Um, so I understand the process of manufacturing a product all the mm -hmm. way to how much it actually costs to the venue and to the consumer. Um, and so what I did was just really dissect the industry and see where there was room to make more money and more opportunity. And, and that's where I find myself today be, and behind the scenes, getting the products that are needed, uh, to the venues for them to maximize their margins and create a great experience for the consumers. Definitely. So we're going to have to be talking off, off cameras about, uh, my my own aguardiente at some point <laughs> perfect that would be that would be so easy <laughs> definitely um ricky um is there any last things you want to say to the viewers any last comment before you go i mean it's it's all been great honestly so no man i mean to, that? Yeah, to be honest with you um listen to your intuition and never lies um be able to identify fear um and uncomfortableness and danger very quickly and, and, and follow your intuition. It's always going to lead you the right way. And no matter what hardship you go through, look at it as a learning experience. Uh, don't avoid it, uh, reflect on it and grow from it. And you're going to be fine. I agree. 100% guys. Um, 
where can they find you or or you know your company or anything is there anything yeah so so my company is called craft dummy distributors you can get that you know um online or also on the website uh, www.craftdummy.com or you know my personal uh instagram handle is son of miami that's a long story behind that handle <laughs> but um you can find me there always open you know for any questions um any ideas um i give it out for free I never really asked to participate in any of that. You know, any way I could help, I'm always available. All right, guys, go follow him. And remember to follow me on Instagram at The Nightlife Entrepreneur. You can find all the episodes at nightlifepodcast.com. And remember to get the book, The Nightlife Entrepreneur, on Amazon. And uh, visit nightlife.university. See you guys next week.